The Athletic. The race is on, and Aston Martin and McLaren may have launched their 2023 cars on the same day, but they demonstrated very different outlooks on the season to come. So why is McLaren being so downbeat, and why is Aston Martin so confident? I'm Ed Straw, and joining us to answer those questions and more is Mark Hughes. Well, Mark, hello, how are you? How have you enjoyed this big day of launches, two in one go? Yeah, it's two in one go, and we also saw the, um, the the real Williams for the first time as well. So, yeah, three really. So, um, yeah, it's been uh, pretty hectic, and um, it's compressed the day a lot, hasn't it? It's, it's sort of flown by really, and uh, yeah, that's um, that's a few down now, and uh, a few still to go. And yeah, I'd forgotten about Williams as well. And we had Alpine, didn't we, as well, which ran, they mm. sent out a very distant photo of the car, so that shook down. We're not going to talk about the Alpine because beyond saying it's got four wheels and a front wing and an airbox, it's quite difficult to offer any particular insight. That's being launched on Thursday. But let's get on with it right now because I've just uh, I've just got back from the Aston Martin factory. I was hanging around uh, <laughs> in the evening finishing off some bits and pieces. But what did you make of the Aston Martin launch, Mark? Well, you were the one that was there, Ed. Yeah, you, I should be asking you. But um, I, I joined in the Zoom meetings, and uh, what struck me, um, I mean, we saw the pictures of the car, and quite a, a distinctive um, Red Bull-looking look, car, and uh, very svelte-looking. But what struck me about the um, the, the, the presentations was uh, it, they seem to find it um, very difficult to contain their uh, confidence going into the season. There seems to be an air of really fairly suppressed excitement about their prospects. And, um, yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see if it plays out. Um, but it's um, it, it, it's coming from somewhere. And, um, you know, listen, people on the talking on the grapevine it seems to be coming from the numbers that are coming from their wind tunnel which um, seem to be very promising yeah and certainly there is a quiet assurance about this team they're upbeat and they're confident not ridiculously so they know they're still some way off they know that winning races on merit isn't going to be happening this year but they just seem very very assured and sure-footed you listen to Dan Fallows the technical director speaking and he seems to have a good command of what he's trying to do you look at the car when the wraps came off it I was uh, I was there in the crowd it's quite difficult to explain but it's just a car that looked a step forward in detail now this these cars they're not as sort of fiddly aero wise as they were a few years ago so it's not quite in the same way but you just look how sort of aggressive the undercut of the side pod is some of the detailing of it just it, it looked like a, a good step for the car it looked like just a inching forward in terms of that detail level and therefore the aero understanding and they called it quite an aggressive car fallow said it was 95% new parts and it does overall look like that step that they need doesn't it well yeah on on the um certainly on on what we've seen so far it looks impressive um fallows is the um the new technical chief now um andy green has been moved to um aston martin technologies which is not an f1 part of the the operation but it's selling f1 technologies into other parts of the of the world um so yeah, this is a really the beginning of a new era, and as you say, Dan Fallows sounded uh, very, very confident. 
with the work that they've done, and he's been there since right since the start of the you know the inception of this car. So it's not he's not joined this project halfway through. He's he's been there at the start of it. Um, it's a very you know they, I think we're probably seeing the start of the real you know benefits of the that are accruing that been delayed accruing from the big investment that's been made here and in, in, uh, over the last two or three years and. Um, yeah, I, I get a sense that it's beginning to come together in an impressive way. And even being on site, you can see it, because I was up there after the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix last year to get a tour of the new factory. Went there again today, and you could see how much progress they've made with that. The launch was actually inside the, the new factory where the race base will be. So you see the progress that's coming on there. They're due to move in in May. Obviously, Fernando Alonso was there talking very confidently. He called it the first real car to these regulations that Aston Martin has built and it's it's funny with F1 teams today they are so big so enormous that this transition of a an overachieving small team which is really what this team was as racing point and force india before that when you're trying to scale that up into a big team it's not a straight line you almost have to take a few steps back as you as you expand and develop to then open that more potential for the future and 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 make progress so it's a very very long scale that they're working on Lawrence Stroll didn't hide his determination I think in the launch he said that they want to become a great one of the great Formula One teams not just a championship winning team but one of the greats so real ambition there and we are seeing signs that they can deliver on that we don't know how fast the car's going to be but everything that they've done so far pretty much is in the right direction there's nothing really you can fault there maybe one of the driver choices isn't the absolute optimum but you can't really complain about where they're going no and also you know the the fact that um lance stroll maybe wouldn't be there on merit if he if he wasn't the the owner's son and it, it it's not you have to you know accept that that's just part of the benefit of having lawrence stroll invest all all these millions in the in the team and upgrading it in this way and it's not as if Lance is, uh, you know, a no-hoper. He's, he's, he's not. He's, 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 this is a guy that set a pole position in a, in a Formula One Grand Prix in the past, and he's got podiums. And you know, he's not, um, he's not an idiot. But it's, it's, it's not. It's really, it's, it's a non-issue, really. I think, as far as I'm concerned, it's he is part of the package that 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 has upgraded this team and comes with it. I think the only issue is when they're talking him up as a future world champion. That's the one area where it gets a little bit uh, odd. Yeah. They have to talk about. Now, I don't think he's a future world champion. And I say that in the context that there's been 34 world champions. More drivers who've potentially had the opportunity to win the world championship have failed to win it than win it. So that's a very, very high bar. You could be a very good driver without being at that level. Yeah, absolutely, and you, you you can disagree with the, you know, the proclamations that he's a future world champion that are, that are all made from inside that team, but that it doesn't really matter you, you, if you agree or not. It you know it'll be it'll play out how it plays out, and um, what is what is playing out is that this team has been heavily invested in, and has been upgraded, and is quite an exciting prospect in you know interrupting the the. The hierarchy, the hierarchy potentially, um, you know, over the next few years, and uh, it would be that it's always interesting to see that play out. 
Yeah, a real upstart team this is now. They were an upstart as an overachiever previously, but now they really can make that progress. Obviously, Fernando Alonso was there. He was in the Fernando Alonso style, gently putting the boot into his old team by talking about how determined everyone was. In some places, you're happy finishing fourth. Here, they're not. It's just Fernando Alonso on normal form, and he's enjoying himself, isn't he? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when he, he said that, he could have been talking about Alpine or he could have been talking about McLaren, I guess, um, or, or both of them. Um, but he had a, a gentle little dig at everyone. He had you know, a, a, um, just a, a left field dig at Jack Villeneuve at one stage, which, you know, with the, they had three races together at the end of uh, 2005, was it? And uh, yeah, it seemed an odd, odd choice to kick, but there you go. <laughs> yeah, it'd be like four, wouldn't it, when Trilly moved early to, to Toyota? But yeah, very odd. But he was enjoying himself. And I think ultimately the car is the star. We'll talk a little bit about the car in more detail with Gary Anderson on our next podcast. But looking at it, the Red Bull design cues are very clear, but it's it's kind of Red Bull RB18+. plus. I'm not saying it's a copy in the old Racing Point style and it's not Fallows just producing a Red Bull because he was there. These are the design directions that a lot of teams are going in, but a big step towards the the, the Red Bull concept. Nice side pod detailing, a bit of Alpine in there as well, a little bit of Mercedes right at the front of the car. So... This looks like a proper basis for them to develop over the next few years because the wrecks are so tight. So you've got to make sure you've left almost the space to develop in the right places. From what we can tell, they seem to have done that. Yeah, it looks like it. It looks like generally, I mean, not just the Aston, but the other cars we've seen so far. It looks, it does look as though there's a convergence towards the Red Bull philosophy of, of last year. And um, in side profile, this one looks very, very like the um, updated RB18 that came from Monza onwards with that cannon bodywork for the cooling and uh, combined with the, the, the ramp down side pod. It looks very similar. In profile, but then when you look at it, sort of three dimensionally, it's 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 like it's it's a bit different. It's got even got a bit of the the Ferrari sort of um, depression in the middle for the on on top of the side pods, but then it it has another sort of shoulder area inboard of that, and it it, it is it's, it's not it's not quite the same. But it, looked at in profile, it looks very similar. Um, but it's got a you know a new sort of Mercedes like flatter nose. It's got um it's got a very it's got it's retained its previous uh, uh, push rod front and pull rod rear suspension, um, which is the opposite to Red Bull. So it's it's not a Red Bull copy. And it, there's a lot of cars converging um, towards and the, the key area seems to be the bottom of the side pods where the floor inlets are. And it's it's it's, it's an achieving the desired flow to that, that um, everybody's uh, sort of trying to put right what they felt wrong was with their designs last year and which Red Bull looked to have got right at first attempt. It's a good description you made there of the, when you saw the three-dimensional view of it, because I had a very side-on view initially, and my first feeling was, oh, that's very, very Red Bull. And then actually, as you say, when you see those details and get different angles of the car, actually it is it is a bit different. So Dan Fallows was talking about the fact they hoped that there were some secrets in that car, some things they've done that's unlocked some aerodynamic innovation as well. So... They're quite bullish. Obviously, it's about winning the midfield this year. That's that's the ultimate success that Aston Martin can have. I'm sure they'd love to be with the, the top three fighting at the front if it is a big three. But yeah, if they can get to the front of the midfield, continue that 
steep trajectory they had last year from the bad start, recovering to almost finishing sixth last year, then they'll be very, very happy with that progress. The car's going to shake down at Silverstone on Wednesday on a filming day, so there'll be 100 kilometres of running there. I presume that means they're sharing that with Mercedes, which makes sense because you can only do a limited amount of running. And the launch car was the real car. That is the actual car that you saw in the launch that will be on track at Silverstone and then heading off for testing in Bahrain, which was very positive. I thought it was a very, very good event. Nice and simple, straightforward, but the right people spoke. And I think that's very, very encouraging. We should briefly mention, as you alluded to earlier, Andrew Green being moved on to the, the Aston Martin performance technology side. Obviously, he's moved out of being the technical lead as Dan Fallows has kind of picked that up. But this this is kind of a one step more removed than we expected, isn't it, for him? He's no longer the chief technical officer of the F1 team, but performance technologies and won't really be involved in the F1 side. For somebody who's been so crucial to that team, both since he came back and took up the reins as technical director in 2010, and also in the early years of that team, working with Gary Anderson up until uh, up until 98, he worked on the Jordan 191 when the team started. So illustrious history with that team and... You completely understand why, but almost a little bit of a shame that, he, that he's, as Aston Martin rises, now uh, now moving on to other things within the company. Yeah, he's one of the absolute heroes of that team, and not least by how he kept the technical core of it together when it was um, on, on the point of um, going out of existence and, you know, when it would have been very easy to have lost all your good people. And um, they didn't, largely because um, of the, the, the faith that they had in, in Andrew, and he's very straight, plays with a very straight bat. And uh, his belief and the way that he inspired people and the loyalty that he inspired. So, yeah, um, a little bit of a shame that uh, he's not directly involved anymore um, because he's a a great guy. And... um, but uh, hopefully this is a, a rewarding role for him um, in, in, in all possible ways. And, uh, yeah, he, he, would, he definitely goes down in the, the history of this team over its many guises or many different names as uh, one of the most important figures uh, to, uh, you know, in, in, in its history. Yeah, absolutely. And if they have the success they hope to have in the next few years, then he will have had a huge part in getting the team to that. So still very much there. And he did have a hand in the AMR 23. Dan Fellows was at pains to stress. So still a little bit of influence there. We're going to move on to McLaren now. That was the first launch of the day. Now, neither of us were at McLaren, but somebody who was was Scott Mitchell Malm. He's making a dash to Ferrari, so we asked him to record a quick report for us so we could get a bit of a feel for what it was like on site. So I'm just uh, I'm just sat in Heathrow Airport, actually, at the moment. I've attended the, the McLaren launch, and I'm on my way over to, to Bologna for, for the Ferrari launch on on Tuesday so who knows if I don't um, mess this up too badly and it doesn't sound uh, too horrific maybe I'll be uh, doing another report from the field um, for a podcast that the listeners will listen to um, in about 24 hours time or so um, so from McLaren obviously you guys are going to be getting into all of the the, the tech side of, of things so there was just a couple of observations that I wanted to make from what I saw and and, and heard both sort of you know from the talking heads on display but also a talking head that actually wasn't talking, wasn't wasn't there present for the launch, which was the technical director, James Key. So th- these two things are intertwined that I want to talk about. The, the first thing is that it was surprisingly um, downplayed, uh, just the launch in, in general, every, everything about 2023. There's a bit of a muted feeling about it. Now, this could just be 
the usual pre-season bit of playing things down. But it felt like a bit more than that. Um, McLaren's usually pretty forthright, whether it's good or bad. And, and this felt like an extension of late last year where they're having to manage expectations. Did give off a bit of a feeling that they're behind where they want to be with this car. They've admitted that they're not entirely happy with it and that they're going to need some early season upgrades to try and get the car where they, they think it can be. So they're happy, I think, with some of the development work that they did over the winter. Um, they feel like they're addressing all of the main priority areas from last year, but there's obviously still work that, that needs to be done and it just won't be ready in time for, for the start of the season. So that's a, a little bit problematic. And one of the things I thought was interesting was that we weren't hearing any of this from James Key. It was Andrea Stella, the new team principal, and Zach Brown, the McLaren Racing CEO. And now I understand that it was obviously more of a priority for James to speak at last year's launch because there was a completely new set of technical regulations to to get into but James is quite a quite an upfront figure at McLaren he speaks quite regularly he's a very good speaker and McLaren is usually not shy about putting him up at all so it's impossible for people to know that and, and not read a bit into it and wonder why especially when you hear that the car doesn't seem to be where they they wanted it want it to be so just on the off chance that this was a sign of anything else, I did ask um, Zach and, and Andrea about James and the technical leadership and whether they have the faith and confidence in it, basically, um, because there is this lingering infrastructure problem. And I do think that the wind tunnel and simulator causes McLaren a lot more grief than, than the person who's ahead of, at the head of the technical department at the moment. And that, and that is broadly what, what they said. So Zach says he has complete faith in James and Andrea said it's definitely more the resources the facilities than any individual so not I, I would I think it would be unfair to to say that this was a sign of of uh, James Key's reign as technical director coming to an end or or anything like that but I think the emphasis on the the upgrades at the start of the season just does put a little bit of pressure on him and I'm surprised he wasn't there to speak for himself today but that could just be a completely um, independent McLaren choice We'll find out, obviously, in the coming weeks and months. I hope that um, hope that James and the McLaren technical team can get it right because it is it has been theoretically something quite good for for him to get stuck into having been in midfield teams before. But if McLaren stays as a midfield team, and it does sound like from what they're saying that is where they will be this year, then sooner or later the excuses of the infrastructure will run out, and McLaren will need to decide if there's something sort of bigger at play that's stopping them from making the progress that they need to make. Well, Mark, interesting hearing from Scott there about the, the downbeat messaging from McLaren, obviously the difficulties they've got. They're still waiting for the new technical infrastructure to come in, but they need to take a step this year. So what did you make of the general vibe of it? Because you did also join some of the uh, the remote media calls that they had. Yeah, it was um, slightly, I mean, the, the the contrast with Aston Martin, it, it couldn't, couldn't be... Um, couldn't be bigger because it was it really they were already downplaying their prospects, and I know you know the, the words mean nothing until the cars hit the track and we the, the, you know the, the timing beams go live. But they you know they're not they're not taking that approach for no reason. There must be something that they know that they are lacking in. They're saying there is still a lot of development to come on the car and a lot of the parts that will unlock more performance from it won't be on it for the first few races. So you have to question why. Is something being discovered at a late stage and they've had to regroup and change something? But it's um, it, it, it could hardly be um, more, more downbeat within 
within the constraints of a, you know, a, 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 media, a media presentation. Um, and it was alluded to by uh, the, the, the new team principal, Andrea Stella, and it was alluded to by um, Lando Norris and Oscar Piastri. And it, there does seem to be some, uh, you know, some, something there that, that makes them not confident. And it's a very, very different vibe to what we um, picked up from Aston Martin. And the fact that they were pretty much downplaying even being able to win that midfield Class B championship, they seem to pour cold water on that possibility, which is extraordinary, really. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're still using the old Toyota Wind Tunnel in Cologne. Um, their own one comes on, on stream later this year. But they're... they're, they're we, we've we've talked to James Key, the technical director, in the past, and he does seem to be laying some of the blame on that, and that it's not it's not the latest technology in that wind tunnel, and then that they they feel that that's causing them to miss some things. But you would also question it; it, it must surely be in the processes as well, because you know that it, it it's. It's been ongoing. There's been a, a, a similar sort of problem with with this car for the last, with their, with their cars for the last three three four years, um, and it does seem odd that it's not been, it's it, it, it's there's been no real progress made with what seems inherently over two different formula. Don't forget, a very similar problem. So well, there've got to be question marks about that. Yeah, Lando Norris was talking about the fact he'd pushed for a slightly different, almost design philosophy, trying to get a bit more consistency rather than going for too much aiming for the peaks because the car last year was quite peaky. He talked about it being on a knife edge. And if you're balancing right on that knife edge as a driver, you're fine. But if you slip down the sides, it's very easy. And then you're having to just to rely on your wits and your reactions to keep on top of it. And that's one of the reasons why he was able to outperform Daniel Ricciardo because he was more comfortable living with that. So this is a team that's had... Certainly, that you have to say they're aero problems going back quite a few years now. Andrea Stella talks at the end of last year about it partly being about the interaction between the aero and the tyre characteristics as well. But yeah, that's where they need to improve. Now, because of all those infrastructure projects, they're not a team that should be fighting up the front. That's not what we're expecting. But for them to make that step when they get the new wind tunnel, they need to show they've got a good grasp of what I like to call the underlying science. So it's an interesting situation. Obviously, Scott also commented on James Key not being there various reasons why that might have been it might just be that because they are a little bit downbeat they don't want to throw their technical director out there to explain at length why but there were people who were raising eyebrows about that yeah it seems a very odd thing not to have your technical director there um but you know maybe he's busy sorting the problem out <laughs> who knows um but yeah it, it it does it does raise obvious question marks obviously zach brown was asked about it he he said he had um all the confidence in the world in james and that he'll be fine um but we are quite often here the the chairman of the football club say that about the manager don't we um so yeah let's wait and see how that all pans out there's a lot hanging on the performance of that car yeah absolutely and they said I think it's around the race four point that they will have a, a decent upgrade package. So 
they're expecting to get stronger as the season progresses. That's the hope. But then again, so is everybody else. So yeah, that your starting point is very, very important. It's it's pretty rare actually these days that you start badly and suddenly turn things around. And even if you do do something like that, as Aston Martin did last year, you're coming from such a low base that you can't do a great deal. Anyway, so yeah, very interesting. Obviously, Oscar Piastri was there at the launch. He's not got much running, day and a half of pre-season testing, plus presumably a bit of running in whatever promotional running on filming days they do by way of shakedown. So yeah, lots to keep a very close eye on in McLaren in testing. People listening might think, oh, they're just managing expectations. Who comes out in launches and says they're going to be brilliant? But the tone was unusual, very different to previous McLaren years and I think they've realised that there's something they need to break through there in understanding so yeah we'll keep a very close eye on them in Bahrain We'll get back to the pod in a moment but first a word about our partner Grammarly. No matter what kind of work you do, how you communicate is key. All those emails reports and presentations are equally important to the collaboration needed to get things done and Grammarly can help Grammarly is your AI writing partner to help you communicate more effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact at work. I know from experience that Grammarly can help you save time on any writing task and ensure you feel confident about what you've produced. In fact, 96% of Grammarly's users report that Grammarly helps them craft more impactful writing, and their tone suggestions can help you navigate even the most difficult work conversations. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Sign up and download for free at grammarly.com forward slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Although we had two launches today, Mark, we also had the Williams running for the first time. We haven't seen massive amounts of it, but we can see some of the areas they've made some changes. Work on the side pods in particular, as Dave Robson talked about at their season launch uh, the other day. So anything grabbing your attention from that, Williams? Yeah, I mean, it's what they would have liked to have done with their big update at the British Grand Prix. Remember, they the it came with a, a much more um, conventional side pod arrangement after the original car had an almost zero pod philosophy. Um, they said at the time we would like to have um, gone further with this, um, but that would have involved completely redoing the cooling arrangement and under the cost cap that was going to take us, it, it wasn't feasible. So this presumably is what they had in mind um, with you know how far if they'd had the resource to do they would have done it back then uh it looks like it's following that trend that all the others are towards uh getting the um getting the inlet to the floor a little bit further back away from the the front wheel uh, and it looks very very neat and uh alex alban's first impressions um were that he loved the, loved to drive how it felt to drive he said it felt very very balanced and um, he was looking forward to uh, going to Bahrain and, um, as he put it, um, start putting some downforce on it because the, the, the bases, the foundation, he felt was really good. Yeah, and last year's car was still quite peaky, quite wind-sensitive, so I've hoped to have dialled out some of those problems with the car. But a solid start for Williams. Obviously, everyone always says the shakedowns go very well because the bar is actually quite low for going well on a shakedown because if you do 
your 100 kilometers, you've kind of done what you need to do. You don't need to go especially fast necessarily, but it's all about just getting that foundation point for the season. Obviously, there's a few photos if you have a look on the race.com website. Don't forget the hyphen. You can see what the real car looks like in that stunningly varied livery compared to last year that they unveiled. Obviously, did have the golf decals on it there, but yeah. Hopefully a good step for Williams because they they need one. It's been a very difficult winter for them. The other car, of course, we haven't yet talked about on the podcast is the Alpha Tauri. Now, that was <laughs> something of a, a damp squib of a launch, certainly for those who weren't on site because it was a relatively late Saturday one and it was just a quick video showing the car. There was no coverage of the, the actual on-the-ground launch event in New York. We saw some renders of the car. The one that was part of the fashion show launch was not the 23 car. We've seen the renders. Again, some clear trends we can see with that. Broad brush strokes, but what did you make of it? Well, if yeah, if the actual car looks like that, we could say that um, they, they, they're following the same development path as nearly everyone else. Um, they've maybe maybe increased the gap between the, the, the side pod, the floor inlets, and the, 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 the front uh, axle by uh, in, in, by. Uh, increase in the wheelbase, which if they have, it means that they weren't at the maximum last year. Um, but they've made, oh, it, it, it's so hard to be definitive, especially when we're only looking at a render. Um, it, that that was very much what um, their technical director, Jody Eggington, was telling us last year was the, what they wanted to do. That was the direction they wanted to go in. Um, they hope it will bring the sort of consistency that that car lacked because you could either have it, like, like several of the cars in the midfield, but it seemed worse afflicted than most. You could either have it with an unstable rear on upon the entry um, or you could calm the rear down but then just be saddled with loads of mid-corner understeer and there didn't seem to be a very nice workable window in between those two things and um, it seemed to reflect Pierre Gasly particularly badly uh, in, in terms of the fitting with how he, he, he wants to drive the car. So, um, yeah, fairly um, unsatisfactory season for them last year and untypically um, uh, uncompetitive. So I wouldn't be surprised to see them, having understood that problem, bounce back to more of the level that we would seen previously where they can regularly sort of get in among the leaders of that midfield little group. Yeah, that's where I'd expect them to be. It's a good little team there. They do have a little bit of a habit of underachieving car pace versus their overall championship performance at the seventh fastest car last season both on outright pace and they were pretty solid in races but they didn't make the most of it so they ended up ninth so we're going to see a lot more detail in that car when it runs and when we see it in Bahrain but we could see that that basic trend and I guess in terms of what they were saying Franz Tost didn't predict a ludicrously high championship position for once he's done that quite a few times in recent years so he wasn't talking about being fourth or or fifth or, or something like that which is good did say Yuki Tsunoda needs to score more points which I think Yuki knows as well but he's a driver who's got ability if he can string those weekends together he's absolutely got the ability to do that and there's going to be a lot of focus on him this year because I think in the third season if it doesn't come together he could be in trouble but I think it, it really could work for him so 
Yeah, we'll talk more about the AlphaTauri when we see it properly. It's been a bit of a whistle-stop tour of these cars. As I said, we will talk about it with Gary Anderson on tomorrow's podcast when we also have a look at the Ferrari that's being launched. Obviously, that's the first of the big gun cars that we're going to see. Before we go, I've also got to thank everybody who came to our first ever The Race F1 podcast live show in London last weekend. We will be releasing that as a podcast shortly. We've got a little bit of congestion with all of these launches so we'll wait a few days and then it'll be put out but Ted Kravitz joined us from Sky Sports F1 he was good value we had Scott Mitchell Mom. no Mark Hughes unfortunately but Mark you did get a few mentions you were missed so you were there in spirit Excellent. Yes. I'll look forward to listening to that. <laughs> Excellent. So yeah, thank you to everybody who came to that. And also special thanks to listener Tim, who gave up his ticket for free to another listener for the podcast. So thanks to Tim, who apparently listens to every episode with his kids, Reggie and Jerry. Well, thanks very much, Mark Hughes. There's loads to read about this on the race.com website. Don't forget the hyphen if you're heading there. Of course, we're going to be putting out regular podcasts through launch season, so there'll be more to come in, probably less than 24 hours given the timings for the Ferrari launch. Try our other podcasts, including Bring Back V10s, our IndyCar podcast, our Formula E podcast as well, and also have a look at our YouTube channel. The launches are not stopping, so stay with us for everything you need to know from Ferrari. The Athletic.